We're continuing with uh, our service. It is November 24th, 2019. We're going to continue with the thought of the week in prayer. Okay. At this time, we'll have the thought of the week. The way of salvation is not my intent, is not my invention. It is God's. Why? It is God's way. And I am simply a believer. I realize that anyone can say that and stand firm on their position. However, you are left to examine the words for yourself. Does the scripture say it is free, given by grace, not of yourselves, and not of works? I trust your answer is yes. Then you have to decide to believe God or reject his gracious offer to save you. What you think about this point could decide your eternal destiny. What you think about this point also determines your approach to God. If you approach him with your words, he will reject you. How will you know? You have the Holy Spirit convicting and rebuking you from the scriptures. If this is not enough, then you may be left to your own imagination when it comes to salvation. The Christian life is based on this grace foundation. So you cannot skip this point and focus on things you believe are more interesting. You may end up like Nicodemus in scripture. He was a religious man filled with much conversation about the law and serving God. But Jesus looked him in the eye and said to him, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. I'm sure those words stung this very religious man to the heart and made a lasting impression on him. All that religious activity in which he was involved and now to consider the thought that he may be dead to God. He neglected the very first order of business with God, the salvation of his own soul. Many are in this position today. Have you considered your own soul? Must you be born again? Is the Lord speaking to your heart? Surely, this is an attestment to the, to the gospel that only through believing in Jesus Christ, one can be born again and come to the saving knowledge. At this time, we'll pass this on to Dwight for prayer. Thank you very much, Bill. And what I'd like to do is pray for our immediate and extended families, um, also the travel mercies for this most traveled uh, U.S. holiday. Are there any other specific requests that you would like me to include? Yeah, for me and, my family. me and my family as well, and traveling mercies, my family is traveling as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let us bow our heads in prayer as we look forward to this opportunity God has given us. Dear Father in heaven, we are in a position where we are approaching a U.S. holiday of Thanksgiving, um, a time that we should be giving thanks, um, or we are expected by tradition to give thanks for this country that we have pilgrims have landed in and, and um, created a nation out of. But we are truly thankful that you have revealed yourself. Uh, completely. Your whole plan and everything is 
is um, is hidden in your spirit, and your spirit has been freely given to us so that we might know the deep things of, of your thoughts and your plan for us. We pray also for our immediate and extended families. Uh, we pray for their health and welfare. We pray for their salvation, if, if salvation is um, the current hurdle that they're addressing. We also pray that those who are saved would continue to grow in grace and, and look to mature in Christ into the fullness of God. We also pray for travel mercies for everybody, um, especially our, our immediate families and extended families. That this is the most traveled holiday in the U.S. Um, your your mercies for that uh, for that travel is greatly appreciated. We also pray for Gretel and anybody else who might be suffering from physical problems, health problems, as she continues to go through her chemo even right up through this holiday and um, probably till the end of this year. We pray that you would offer her comfort in, in her heart and um, continue to draw uh, my children as well um, closer to you. And last of all, I, I just pray that you would help us to assimilate the word in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is at work here, and let us not grieve the Spirit, but cooperate with the Spirit and, and retain the lessons that are so precious. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dwight. Amen. Thank you, Bill. We are headed into a new verse today. It's uh, John chapter 14, verses 4 and 5. Uh, new verses, they read, You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, where you are going, so how can we know the way? Uh, so we're going to look at, uh, and you have your notes, hopefully there. So in your notes, while those emotional disciples did not know the way to the Father's house, Today, we have the opportunity of hindsight and know the way, right? For me, this exchange is an important opportunity. Uh, I'm sorry. For me, sorry, I'm reading over a line. For me, this, is, this exchange is an important reason we are here. We, are, we have questions and God has answers. And the most important reason we are here is to come to know God. In knowing him, all the other gaps of knowledge will be satisfied. Often, the answer to questions is right there in front of us. Maybe we are not looking for the answer to be from that certain direction or angle. But behold, there it is. You would think we would learn to distrust the wrong places where we have been looking. But therein is the lesson we are learning, slowly. So, we are going to look at some of these verses right here in context to try to understand how does this verse add, or verses, how do they add to what we have already learned. So we're going to Go ahead and uh, start w working with the first phrase. You know the way to the place where I am going. 
So the first point is they knew, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I, I could pose it as a question, they knew? And the answer, I would answer it, yes, they did. I can imagine that Jesus taught them consistently about what was to come. So if he says they knew, I would venture to say, yes, they knew. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, all of this is in the context of what he had already said in the, the verse in 14, right? In 14, he said, I'm going there. In my father's house are many rooms. And he, he must have told them about the father's house in previous lessons. If it were not so, would I have told you I am going there? To prepare a place for you. So this is not a new concept. He has taught this before. Would I have told you that? Yeah. When did I tell you that? You should recall when I told you this. When I taught this. And if I go to prepare a place for you. So he's making applications to a, a, a point of truth there that he has already established. I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. And uh, so... So then he comes back in verse 4. You know the way to the place where I'm going. He didn't say, let me tell you about the way. He says, you know it. <coughs> so the thought, yeah, they, they did know it. And often we need to be reminded of things we know. That is not strange. Uh, if I think about the context and uh, the disciples... I'll use a resurrection analogy. What do I mean by that? I'm just saying, look, Christ told them straight, I'm going to die, be buried, and I will be resurrected. I'll be brought back to life. He said this literally to them. This is not something that he hid. He said, it's going to be, a, behold, I show you a mystery now. I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to be resurrected. No, he said, I'm going to die. He told them straight away. That is one of those things where they could say, he could say, when this happens, you will know that I know what I'm talking about, and I'm, I'm telling you, I am the Messiah, and all that. Like John wrote in his gospel at the end, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They ought to believe that based on all the happenings that uh, went down as Jesus had his ministry there for those three and a half years. So they knew. But even with all of that preparation, yeah, they put that language in some place where there was no context in their mind. They chose to do it. They didn't choose to create a context of truth in their in their thinking. You know what they said? Yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't get it, but hey, I'm going to continue on. I heard what he said, but I'm not embracing that. In fact, Peter's words were very clear. This will never happen to you in Matthew 16. This will never happen to you, he said. Jesus said, get it, get away from me, Satan. You, you have in your heart the things of men, not the things of God. So the word of God came from the Lord. Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to tell you 
you you spoke and write about the I am the the son of the living God. You you got that part right. And let me tell you what else is going to happen. This is the word of the Lord. And and then Peter said, "This will never happen to you." He denied the word of the Lord. Now. Did Jesus tell him? Yes. But did, did Peter receive it in his heart? No, he did not. Peter rejected it. And I would venture to say the other he was speaking for the other disciples as well. I would not think that they had some elevated understanding beyond what Peter did. In fact, Peter had the right answer. You are the son of the living. But what would the Messiah do? What is... The plan. Peter, sit up and take notes. Peter, sit up and pay attention. Let me tell you. And it says he began to teach these things to them. Peter rebuked him. So, when it happened, when Jesus rose from the dead, just like he said, they didn't, even then, when, when the news about him rising from the dead was out there when the women came back to peter and uh, and the others and said jesus is just like he said he, he, he we saw him you know what they said to those women these women are crazy they're talking crazy we saw him die <laughs> jesus said he was going to die we saw that he was buried yeah he said that but when it came to him coming back to life you know what they said you women are crazy that's where we're going to put that that is not no we refuse to believe that even though they could have said i remember he said this now it is interesting that uh the the enemies the Pharisees and the scribes and those who put Jesus on the cross in the first place, they remembered what Jesus said. And and not only did they remember it, but they said this deceiver said that he was going to come back. So they went to Pilate and they begged him to put a guard on the tomb so that there could be no disciples coming to steal his... Now, of course, they didn't understand the resurrection, but they figured how could... What they might what might happen is the disciples will steal his body and say this man was resurrected and so forth and so on. But they remembered what he said. I would have expected that the women who showed up at the tomb, Christ, uh, Peter and the disciples who had been teaching for three and a half years, would have trusted that what he said would be so. But they didn't. You know who believed the resurrection and that it would happen? You know who was the single person to believe it? None of them. There wasn't a single person, as far as I can read in the scriptures, that believed it. Not the women, not the disciples. Those were the ones who were closest to him. None of them believed it. Did Jesus teach it? Absolutely. So to my point, point A, yeah, they knew. They knew. Uh, resurrection is just an analogy. It's not necessarily what I'm talking about here. But they knew 
gospel of Jesus. He had taught this before. If it were not so, <laughs> I would not, would I have told you this? Trust me, Jesus is saying. If you believe in God, believe also in me. I'm telling you this. Trust me. Point B, let's move on. The place. The Father's house. The way to the place. This has already been discussed by Jesus. As well. Because that's the point. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Well, obviously, if he says you know it, then you, it's already been discussed. To the place. The way to the place. Jesus is getting ready to say this classic verse. Which we won't address until next week. Where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're going to talk about that verse in context next week. But that is the answer Jesus gives him. So we want, what we want to take apart here is the place we know is the Father's house, which is heaven. Some place in heaven that's going to be prepared. <clears throat> the way to the place, Jesus is saying he already discussed this with the disciples. If he says he did, then I have to say that I agree. He did. He knows what he's talking about. This has already been discussed by Jesus. If, and then look at the previous verse. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going, to, going there to prepare a place for you? This whole part about him coming back and all that, that's the way. The way is not death. The way is that when I come back, I'm going to take you to be with me where I am. I'm going to take you. That's the way to the Father's house. That's how they're going to get there. Okay? So point B, if it were not so, I, 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 would I have told you this? I mean, I'm... You should be believing me like you believe God. Let's move forward. Point C. We know the way to the place. So let's just talk about that way. What we know to be the way to the place where Jesus is talking about. One. The way, uh, special people are those who are baptized into the body of Christ. Really, this is the way right here. How do you get there? It's through Christ. Can Old Testament people get there? Can Old Testament people take this way? Absolutely not. So it says right here, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. This is 1 Corinthians 13a. The rest of it just says we were all given the one spirit to drink. When was that? Pentecost. That's what he's talking about. That's when the Holy Spirit baptized us into one body. Right? So obviously if we're born later than Pentecost, then this is true of us when we believe in Christ. Upon our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, these are things that happen in this age. We are baptized by the Holy Spirit. Paul teaching in Romans 6 and 7, 
That's where we are in that study. He says, what? Did you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death, so that like as Christ was raised from the dead from by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life? This is about our life. This is the life we now have, which is in Christ, the life of those who are the new creation. So point two, we know the way, the place, right? We know the way, right? I'm saying this, we know it because we have all the understanding. Everything's out, the mystery, right? All the knowledge, the hidden dispensation, the wisdom that accompanies our way of life who we are, what is our destiny, all those questions. We know the way. So point two, Jesus is the way. We know that from the, the verse in context. Um, so I'm quoting a couple of verses here. Uh, well, this one verse is in Romans 8.29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So there you have this verse that stretches back to eternity past, when before creation, we were foreknown, uh, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He's the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There it is. Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink, the baptism of the spirit that happened at Pentecost. This unites us in the church age. Israel didn't have that. Prior to Israel, Gentiles didn't have that. Or even during Israel's reign or dispensation, as we, we could easily say. So Jesus is the way when we're talking about and Jesus says I'm the way you that's what he's referring to so point three Jesus is going to the father's house or heaven to prepare this place and remember when is this all uh, said to be Acts 1 11 talks about uh, Jesus had already eaten with the disciples they were with him and it says he was lifted up he out of their sight and and he rose in the air and eventually the clouds uh, hid him from their sight and they kept looking because they, they probably thought well we're going to still see a glimpse of him uh, can we even believe our eyes he is actually he's lifted up and and just is going up i don't know how fast he was going up I imagine it wasn't like like a bullet, like shot up into the air. Because for them to just see him going and ascending up into the heavens, and then the clouds received him out of their sight, seems like it was a bit slower. And so that's what he meant by he is going away to the Father's house. That's what he meant. So point D, if I were to make this statement today of believers, is it, it is interesting to think about the answers I get. What statement? You know the way to the place where I'm going. What way is that? Well, 
Jesus talks about going to the Father's house. He's talking about the ascension, right? He's talking through the death, burial, and resurrection, and he's talking about the ascension. And if he doesn't go away, then what? The comforter can't come. And if he does go away, what will happen? He's going to send the comforter to us. What's the comforter? He's the Holy Spirit. What's he talking about? Pentecost. So, if he's talking about coming to get us, we know what that is. We know it's the church age. I would say Ephesians 3.2 is a good uh, verse. We've covered it many a time. Just I'll just read it today. I like the way the NIV puts it. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That's three, two. Surely, you must have heard about this. I mean, I've been teaching this. I, I, and reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery. Right? Verse 3, though, it says it straight. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. So, surely, you have heard about the administration of God's grace given to me for you. What are we talking about here? This, this is relative to what we have been talking about uh, with Jesus' words in John chapter 14. You know the way to the place where I am going. Yeah, surely you've heard about this way. It's been revealed to us now. Hindsight is twenty twenty, so they say. So we can know the way. If you didn't know the way, you can know the way. That's we have that. It's the whole thing has been revealed. The mystery is open for us to now consider and to draw doctrinal conclusions. Put it all together, as it were. So point number two, we're we're moving forward in our context here. I know our time is different today because we started late. But point number two, so, so it goes like this. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said, point number two, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. Now, after all that Jesus had just said to him, uh, I'm a little surprised at this point because he just said where he was going and he made it sound like it wasn't the first time he said it. So like the first or second or however many times he said it, this time that he's saying it, and he's like, I'm going to the Father's house, I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go, I'm going. He said right there, he was going to the Father's house. So if anything, Thomas should have said, Lord, we, we know you're going to the Father's house now that you told us. But this is what he says. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we, so how can we know the way? Right? So this is what he, we didn't get to that phrase yet. But that's where he's going. And I, in the first point here, I would say that Thomas was speaking collectively for the disciples who must have appeared visibly ignorant of the way to the place. Right. Not only did we not, Thomas is going to deny all of this. I don't even know the place, and I don't know where. So how in the world could we possibly know the way? I don't understand. 
totally. We none of us understand. I can imagine they're all looking with blank stares of ignorance on their brows. Like how how can this be? Like what what is he talking about? We know the way. How could we know the way? We don't even know where it is. <laughs> so so that's the first point. The disciples were confused. That's what I'm trying to say. Is it reasonable to think that they could be confused? Yes, it is. Because their whole theology had just been shaken up. They, if you believe God, believe me, Jesus is saying. Look, I know what you believe in the Old Testament. I get it. But I'm telling you now, believe me. That's why I quoted the verse in Ephesians 3 too. Paul said there's a dispensation of grace that was given to him. Not just him, but he has the information about it. He's told you he's going to write about it. But this information is about a hidden dispensation. He says the mystery. He said the dispensation of grace. Right? That is the mystery. So it's, mystery is hidden from the Old Testament. So this dispensation was hidden from the Old Testament. So people, for, for, for Paul to say, surely you got to know about this. I've been teaching about it. We could say today people still don't know about it. People are still ignorant and quizzical about this dispensation that was hidden from the Old Testament. It is now been made available, right? All that. People are still asking puzzled questions. What do you mean? What, what are you talking about? When it's, when it's something of this order and this magnitude, Jesus is saying you have to pay attention, you have to listen to my words, and you must apply faith towards them. You must believe what I'm telling you. Believe me when I tell you this. And you're going to hear that Jesus is pleading with them. Just trust me. Believe me. I'm telling you this. You know this. I've been telling you this. Put it together at this point. That's what he's saying. All right, so point B. To be, Jesus is reminding the disciples of teaching which has already been given. This is what I say. Always bring all your reasoning tools to the job. Tools? What are tools? Teaching. The reality that you have accepted in your heart. Bring that to the table. That should be hidden in your heart. That, Those tools, that teaching, right? All of it. Remember we talked about it before, these are precious things that you've learned from God. God has revealed to you these things by means of the Holy Spirit. You, you see them as precious. You hide them in your heart. They are reality to you. So when it says we walk by faith, we're not just saying, I walk believing God's going to give me everything I want. No, we believe that the testimony of God is true. And those are the standards and principles that we live by, that we order our lives around. People in the world don't see it. Well, we do. That's why we order our lives a certain or special way, because we trust in things that have become reality to us. So what's real is not just what is seen, heard, or talked about here on the in the world. 
It is what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us. And that is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. What is the truth? Your word is truth. Holy Spirit has made that truth a reality in our hearts. So when we trust in it, that transforms us, right? That's part of the lesson to be learned. In fact, while we're in this world, there is opposing information. It's just like Abraham. Even if we take an example from the Old Testament, Abraham against hope against the circumstances that he had, the human limitations, believed God against all of that. He says, you know, I have a reality that God has told me in my heart and all of the opposing circumstances, I will not trust them and walk according to them. I will trust what God has said and walk according to that to be the reality. And that's what transformed Abraham. That's when he uh, he believed that Isaac was going to be, uh, that he was going to have a son and and that his son would be, be named Isaac. Okay. Should be hidden in your heart, all these truths, but not hidden to the place where you can't bring them to the table when you need them. That's why they're precious. Right, that you do. It's like a contractor showing up to the job and forgetting his toolbox. He's ready to go to work, but he can't. Where, where did I put my toolbox? I don't remember where I put it. No, you bring your toolbox, and when you when it's the right tool, you bring it out. And what what tools are we talking about? Teaching, thinking, reality that has been revealed to us. The disciples did not do that because they didn't trust the tools anyway. So we're, we're, it's easy for us to point out the mistakes of others, I know. But this is not only written for them, but it's written for us. Point C. 2C. Why didn't Thomas and the other disciples know the way to the place? They did, but they were unable to draw doctrinal conclusions to the plan. Yeah, that's where it is. For some reason... In their mind, they didn't understand the plan because the plan was being revealed to them. I, I get that. I totally understand that. Because the plan was unique. Right? It wasn't the same thing that was revealed in the Old Testament. It was new. So, But then it demanded that they trust Jesus here. They did not draw doctrinal conclusions. So... We now have the benefit of hindsight. That's what I said. We can talk about those three points that I brought out earlier so that we can understand the way to the place. We know what it requires. We know who he's talking about, these special people. We know the special place. We know what we're talking about here. It's all been revealed now. The disciples had to struggle with just the words of Jesus, which is enough. And Jesus told them, I need you to be like children here. You don't know anything. Children don't know anything. You need to learn everything. So, I get that they, and I'm not chiding them. Wow, how dumb they were. You know, look at how stupid they were to, to not understand that. I'm just showing you where they failed. Because uh, trust me, 
they did get it. Peter did get it. The other disciples, yeah, they did understand. They came to the conclusions. They were able to put things in place later. So, but at that point, no, they were not able to do it. Point D. It is like the disciples had college, had college education knowledge. Why do I say that? Because they were over three years with Jesus. They were <coughs> under his teaching for over three years. But no practical experience or what we might call wisdom or ability to use that knowledge. They didn't have that. So they had the knowledge. Jesus could say, yeah, I told you about this. Don't you remember I told you about this? Since they didn't embrace it, it didn't transform their perception of reality, and therefore they could not apply that to and draw doctrinal conclusions. Another way to say it is make applications to it according to the plan. So having a college education is like, you know, a young person goes to college, and, you know, learns a lot. It should distinguish him in his field. Uh, and then the, the goal for that person is to go out and to go ahead and begin to implement some of those things he's learned, gaining valuable life experience in his profession or trade. That is the important part when it comes to college and education, right? So once you get the college and the knowledge, the theory of how it should work, then you go out into the real world and see how it really does work. Right? So now you, there's the corner that they have to turn. They have to take the knowledge and they have to apply it to what the real world circumstances are. So it is... Uh, with us in our spiritual lives. We have to learn, embrace that knowledge, and then be able to apply it to the various circumstances that we find ourselves in in this world. And this is this is the proving ground. This is the very ground on which we are able to do it. Now I talked about that one thing in 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, right? This is 1 Corinthians 13 at the end. And I make that point to say that uh, faith is not used in the eternal state. Hope is not used in the eternal state. They are used on a battlefield because faith is the perception of God's reality. It may not be your current circumstances, but it is God's reality. It's truth. Hope absolute confidence that those things are true, even though they're not here yet. We don't have, who hopes for what he already has? So those things can't be talking about heaven, because in heaven, once you get to heaven, you're going to know. <laughs> it won't be, well, I hope so, or I'm going to exercise faith in, in, in this place I'm in. No, you're there. There's no faith then in heaven. You already have the reality of such things. No hope. Who hopes for what he already has, says Romans 8. 
So this is important for us. Uh, to be able to turn the corner, right? to understand, okay, we got the knowledge. Right? How do we apply that knowledge now? So that's where point E is. I think we are seeing the difference between knowledge and wisdom here and how both are permanently connected. So whatever knowledge the disciples had in the previous Old Testament, they needed to update that knowledge with what Jesus was saying. So Jesus was telling them about the plan right, that was revealed, that he was here to fulfill, and they weren't listening. They were ignoring what he was saying. So this is the difference between knowledge and wisdom. So wisdom here says, okay, I'm going to take that knowledge and I'm going to make wise applications to it. You can't make wise applications if you reject the knowledge. See, so it's important. So if you were in the Old Testament, you needed to take the wisdom or, or the knowledge that was given to you and believe it so that you could make wise applications to it. And now when we get new knowledge, we got to do the same thing. That's why our life is different because all of this knowledge now is on the table. What are we going to do with it? How, how do we assimilate it? What decisions now are we to make given that we are new creation in Christ? Given that we are now uh, one with him, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. How are we to conduct ourselves right, that we should walk in newness of life? These are things that we are should, should be thinking about. The, the, tr the truth has been told. The knowledge is there. Now you have to turn the corner and develop wisdom. That's where maturity comes in. So point F. Jesus, the perfect teacher, first gave the knowledge and then he turned to see if they could apply it. The test. He gave them the information and then he said, you know the way. We talked about this. What are you talking about? We don't know. We're confused. Okay, but that's the perfect teacher there. Gave them the knowledge then he stopped and turned to see if they could apply it. You get to test. Right? So a test is not intrusive, generally. People get all panicked when it, I remember in school, when I was in school. They go, oh no, we got this big test coming up. Well, the test is only to talk about whether or not you could apply what you've known. So the test may have real-life applications Right? So especially math. Math, they give you the principle. They show you how to do the problem. Everything. And then they even have you practice. But then there would be on the, on the test these word problems. So Johnny has this. And if he gives away a third of that, and then he gets back from them a fifth of that. Well, how much does Johnny have? Don't even try to figure out this question. It's made up. But these word problems put the scenario of the principle in real life application. You have to apply what you know to a real life right, situation. 
that is essentially what happens with the teaching of the word. You learn the word, you get the knowledge, you say, oh man, I'm impressed that the Bible says that there would be this mystery and then we have this uh, extended knowledge that nobody else had that God hid from the Old Testament. He's, he's reserved it for us. Oh no, we could talk about the details. Now, can we turn the corner and make applications to that? This is where knowledge and wisdom, they're married, but now we see how they're permanently bound together. Because we can't take the knowledge from the Old Testament and now apply it. We're going to fail because we refuse to accept the knowledge in the New Testament. We've got to embrace the mystery. Surely you have heard, says Paul, about the administration of God's grace, which was given to me for you. That is the mystery wasn't revealed so we can't look at old testament knowledge and make applications we got to look at the mystery and make applications to our life that's who we are now so point g unfortunately they like us need to learn the importance of wisdom right because really that's where the rubber hits the road. It could be that Jesus told the disciples about these things and they rejected it. That's not good. Not a good thing for you to reject it. That doesn't mean oh, you fail. That's it. It's over. No, God is saying, look, I'm, I'm trying to teach you here. You may fail. That's okay. But now that you failed, get up from there. Figure it out. Get the right teaching. Failure means you know it ain't it ain't right. I'll just say it with poor English here to make the point. You know it ain't right. That's what failure means. Now, then what is right? That's what you should be focused on. And if you get to what is truth and all the failure and the, the, the changes back and forth of trying to understand it, the wrestling with the scripture is all worth it. Because now you got the pearl of great price, the truth. The reality of God. The Holy Spirit labors with us till we get it. So a couple of thoughts. Wisdom is important because now we're able to apply. Once we know it, it becomes our reality. Oh, then it makes sense that we can apply that's truth. I mean, you know, that's the answer because of this. Because we know these things. And Jesus didn't say, well, I've taught this in theory prior to this no he says you know the way to the place where i'm going you know it now later the disciples could say we know the place the way to the place and we know where christ went we get it just like we today can look back on this and say we know the way to the place So some scriptures on wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, we don't have it. We or we have it, but we don't have it in where it needs to be on the ground. We don't have wisdom. You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Ask God. If you ask God, that means you're turning to God and looking to him. 
Turning to God means you're turning away from human wisdom. Asking God means I don't know God. And I don't know is okay. So what do we have in Thomas's answer here? Lord, we don't know. We don't know what you're talking about. That's okay. Ask God. Let God explain it. And then, so so what? You didn't get it back when I told you before. That's not the point. What's the, point the most important point is that you get it now. And I will tell you on this call, and including my own experience, people, I've heard of doctrinal teaching before. Yeah. It's not that I never heard of it. It's that I never believed it. And I didn't believe it the first time I've heard it. And I'd be surprised if anybody on this call says they everything they believe now, They the first time they heard it, they jumped right on it. I would doubt very seriously if that's the case. So forget about the struggle of the wrestling back and forth. What you want to value is the reality. And you get a hold of that truth. That's what you want to do. Hold on to it. Accept that as reality. That's the truth. This is what God is... Forget about your circumstances. Forget about what the world says. The world says there's no heaven at all. And and Jesus, he just is simply not coming back. Period. There is no returning to receive. None of that is true, according to the world. That's preposterous. That's foolishness. But for us who know what the reality has been revealed to, no, we understand. Jesus says, if it were not so, would I have told you this? Absolutely, we know it's true. That's how we have to begin to look at this. So James 1.5 says that. But 1 Corinthians 2, I'm going to go to a couple other verses. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 and 7. Get this. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Remember I told you wisdom touches maturity. That's, that's, when we, that's what we're talking about here. How to take that knowledge, be able to parlay that into living, addressing the circumstances of life, being able to live according to the knowledge that we have, applying it to our experience. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom. Get this, this this is not just talking about knowledge. He's talking about wisdom. He says we're speaking a message of wisdom. Not just, I'm going to explain knowledge to you. Wisdom. But he says it's among those who are mature. That's the group who will understand it. But to be clear, it's not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, this is, we declare God's wisdom. A mystery that has been hidden and that God is destined for our glory before time began. That's what we're talking about. And in our verse here, down the road in verse 13, this is what we speak. When he says, we do ever speak, this is what he speaks. When he says speak, he means teach. They're not only teaching knowledge, they're teaching wisdom. Get wisdom. That's greater 
Right? I mean, knowledge, the wisdom is one thing. I mean, the knowledge is one thing. You got to get that in order to have the wisdom. You can't have one. That's what I meant by they are inextricably, inextricably bound. They're permanently, indelibly bound together. You've got to see it that way. So, so not in words taught us by human wisdom, to be sure. Because there is a wisdom when we talk in human. People can see things, they get to knowledge, and then they make decisions based on what they see. We see things revealed to us by the Spirit, and we're able then to make decisions based on those things that we see. Not taught us by human wisdom, but here it is, but in words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual, what? Spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. There it is. Wisdom. We've been talking about reality. That's what truth is. Wisdom is those, we're talking about those who have been transformed by that reality, by that truth. So that they are able to teach it now. When we read the word of God, that's what we're seeing. We're talking about the wisdom. Even if God is talking to you about salvation, it's from the perspective of wisdom. The word, nothing can supersede the word of God. Nothing. No book that human beings write. This word is attended to by the spirit of God for sure. So what we read in the pages here are illuminated by the Holy Spirit. The reality of them, these words and the truths therein, are illuminated to us by means of the Spirit. So this is this is another... And then there's... I'll, I'll take one from the Old Testament because the same thing applies. And that's in Proverbs 8, which so many places where... Uh, we could be talking all day about wisdom, but I'm picking a couple verses to illustrate what I'm talking about. Verse 8, uh, Proverbs chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare to her. There it is. Nothing in this world that you desire can compare to the wisdom of God. This wisdom. And this is Old Testament. Remember, the, the mystery, information that we have was not even revealed yet. That wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began, which we read in 1 Corinthians 2, 6, and 7, it's not even been revealed yet. For the wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare, can compare with her. And watch what he says here. I personified wisdom dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. See those things? Prudence, right? Careful uh, behavior according to the reality. I possess knowledge and discretion. There it all is right there. The perfect applications to life using the reality of God. 
in the face of living in the devil's world. A world of opposition to the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God. So those two verses, take some time to read them. So hopefully you'll get where, where I'm coming from. Well, and time is moving quickly, so we're going to have to keep going. And I think we're going to try to finish this point three. So all together, let's put it together. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? That's Thomas's question, point A. They could have known the way by reasoning from the teachings, drawing doctrinal conclusions, and applying the teaching. That's how they could have known the way. I could have asked, answered Thomas's question today. Looking back, I doubt if I would have been able to answer it if I was standing with their, in their sandals at the time. Point B, we are talking about the Father's plan here. Just remember, this is the whole point and the crux of the matter here. The Father's plan. And just know that all these things, that the knowledge that we have, there may be independent pieces here and there, but we got to put them together. The wisdom puts them together and is able to make application to life on the ground. That's what God needs. That's what God wants us to turn that corner. It not only does it say we understand it, but now we become part of the love, the motivation that God has as he executes the plan on the, in this world. That's what we're talking about here. The Father's plan. This is not some extraneous facts, some extraneous facts that you have to assimilate, that you got to come to to master, and then somebody says, well, what is the answer? And you spit out some words. No, you got to be able to apply it. God wants you to understand it. Wisdom is not just, I know it, I understand it, and I can apply it to my circumstances. I fully know it. They, they could have known they didn't know. But now they could have the opportunity to put it all together. It's the Father's plan. Right? Just like it says, when this, He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. We, we made a point to talk about what that all truth is. Not just Old Testament information that we receive, but, but the dispensations are progressively giving us the revelation of God's plan. The Father's plan. But we couldn't have the fullness of it until this particular age when it was all revealed. So I like what it says here. What no eye has seen, no, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. And I say, stop looking in the wrong places for answers. Trust the word of truth. Trust it. Jesus, this is his word to you. This is the I will the Holy Spirit will take from what is mine and he will make it known to you. Trust his word. Point C. The knowledge we gain growing up, we are supposed to what what are we supposed to do with it? Right? This is just a human analogy. We we spend all our lives growing up gathering knowledge from little children you know this is what your mother and father told you 
This is what you are to, ought to do, and this is how it should work. Or if a stranger approaches you, or, or any of those things, and then you go to school and you go through all this school. Then, when you, when you grow up, you're supposed to take all of that and apply it to life. You got to live now. Time for you to live. Right? You, you're supposed to have this knowledge. We've been teaching you. You've gone through all the higher education now. Time to get out there and live. The same is true in the spiritual life. You can have the knowledge, but then you got to trust the knowledge. You've got to believe it. That belief will transform the way you think about things. It will reorganize or renovate your thoughts. So that instead of your focus being the reality of this world, or what this world presents to you, it will be the reality of God. That's what I mean by the same is true in our spiritual life. We will then be able to live our lives in this world as those who are making decisions, who are walking according to truth and not by sight. The truth that has been established in our soul by means of the Spirit. So this is this is we've come to the end of this part. I know we're over time. We're gonna have to quit. But stop and think about some of the applications here. Much more can be said. As I said, let's talk about it. Let's expand it. Open it up even more. Let's bow our heads as we close. We'll continue with Jesus's answer next week. Thank you, Father. We're so glad to have this time that we are able to focus our attention. No matter what's going on in the world, we thank you that you've given us this, this hour to be able to focus our attention on you and your thoughts. Thank you for the truth that your Spirit has revealed to us. We pray that we will continue to be willing recipients, humble recipients of your truth so that we can make the proper applications to reality, not only in thought, but in deed as well. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.